Well, good morning. Welcome to another week of our being scattered together. Thank you for gathering with us in this way uh, this morning. I uh, hope you seen or will see today uh, the update that we just sent out from the board as far as just our building reopening and how that's going to look and what we're looking forward to and uh, as well as uh, how the Spirit may be inspiring you or leading you to want to be a part, to invest yourself in being a part of making that opening happen. But uh, take the time to watch that today if you haven't seen that video yet. Uh, it is important to understand what our reopening of this building is going to look like. We are going to come to a time now in our passage, uh, this passage from God's Word. We're going to look at it together, talk about what it means, why it matters, and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible with you, a Bible app, if you could turn to this passage we've been in for the last three weeks now, Matthew 28, beginning at verse 16. We'll read this together. Today we're focusing on the second half of verse 20, but we'll read the passage all together. Matthew writes this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. That's God's word. Let me take a moment and just pray for us, ask God's blessing upon this time, and then we'll dig into this together. Spirit of God, we need you. Um, we need your presence with us um, today, right now, as we study uh, this passage, as well as just in our lives. But would you be especially present right now as we open your word? Would you reveal to us what it is you want to say to us individually? The comfort, the encouragement, the exhortation, whatever it is that we need to hear, reveal it to us, God, not because of my ability, but by the power of your Spirit, accomplish the purpose for which you sent out this word today. And as I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Okay. So uh, I, I will attribute at least a part of my reaction to what I know can be an overly critical, an overly literal way of looking at things in life. It's just the way I'm wired. But I still maintain that one of the most frustrating scenes that I've experienced anyway in all of film, and I've watched a lot of different movies, one of the most frustrating scenes in film has got to be that scene at the end of Titanic. Uh, the ship has sunk I'm trusting that's not a spoiler alert for anyone. You know the Titanic sinks. Um, the ship is sunk. Basically, everyone in the water has died. And, and yet Rose, the, the heroine of the story, is still floating on that wood paneling. And, and in this scene, then all of a sudden, she, you see her prying the now lifeless, frozen fingers of her soulmate Jack from her hands. She releases him, watches him sink to the bottom of the Atlantic. The whole time, repeating the words... I'll never let go, Jack. I'll never let go. Okay, now I get it. I, I, I understand that the line's meant to be ironic. It's meant to be expressing, you know, the beautiful sentiment that although separated by death, she's going to continue to hold on to the memory of the great love that they shared throughout her life. You know, her heart will go on and all that. And yet, whenever I saw that film, every time I watched that scene, I still was like looking around at everyone else. I wanted to just say, but... Yes, yeah, she will. 
Yeah, Rose, yes, you will let go. In fact, I know you've been in the cold water a long time, but that's actually exactly what you're doing as you're saying that you're, you're letting go. So super frustrating. I, 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 I know, yes, a part of that is just being overly literal, and I probably need to let that go. And yet, as I try to examine that reaction, like what's, what's behind like such a strong reaction to a movie? Like, so what? When I look underneath, or what's really underneath the surface of that reaction, I think what I see is probably the painful experience that I'm sure the majority of us have experienced in life, where someone that we trusted didn't keep their word to us. They had made a promise to us, and they let go. Maybe that was a friend, a parent, a spouse, a boss, whoever it was. They, they made a promise to you, you believed them, you trusted them, you put your faith in them, and yet when it came time to make good on that promise, they also couldn't or wouldn't hold on. And you were left cold and alone while they rode away on the rescue boat. I know that's been a lot of people's experience in, in this world, and it's been mine as well. So we're concluding our fall mini-series this morning on that cheery note <laughs> of that's been called Faithfulness into the Unknown, where we've dedicated the first three weeks of this fall kickoff series to refocus our, our hearts and minds once again on what it is that Jesus has called us to do as a church, like what we're doing here, uh, just despite any of these fearful unknowns, COVID-19, any other circumstances that may be going on, Jesus commissioned to all of us to make disciples of all nations, just refocusing us as a church altogether back on that picture of what it is we're supposed to be doing. We looked in the first week at Jesus' great claim, verse 18, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And then last Sunday, we looked at Jesus' great commission in particular. That is, again, what, what it is exactly we're supposed to be doing as followers of Jesus in verse 19 and into the beginning of verse 20. But as we come to Jesus' great comforts, now, at the last half of verse 20, to be with us always, to the end of the age. Yeah, although what Jesus says here is absolutely, it's intended to bring us comfort. It's intended to bring us hope as we seek to be obedient to what Jesus has called us to in our lives. The question that likely arises for every single one of us as we come to this promise of Jesus today is whether or not Jesus can be trusted to keep his word. He's making this promise to us, but can Jesus really be trusted? Because you know what? Life is hard. Marriage is hard. Parenting is hard. Work is hard. Living through a global pandemic is hard. I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't need another promise that someone's not going to follow through. And I, I'm not sure if I can take it. So... Can Jesus be trusted? Like in light of all the other ways that we've been let down in our lives, can Jesus be trusted to keep his word? And maybe that sounds blasphemous. Maybe that sounds disrespectful to even say. And yet, although Matthew doesn't include it in his gospel, what we see is that we, we can't ignore the fact that very shortly after, just actually very much like Rose and Titanic, very shortly after Jesus makes this promise to be with us always to the end of the age, Luke, in particular, tells us Jesus ascends into heaven, returns to the Father. So, uh, 
So, so yeah, so is this, is this nice, nice sounding, but really just another empty promise in the end? Like, is Jesus with us? Is that it? Is Jesus just with us? Kind of like, you know, when you comment on someone's tragic social media post, you see, like, oh my goodness, you know, standing with you before really just scrolling on to like more back-to-school pics and funny memes. Is, does Jesus talk a good game? You know, kind of like Peter, Jesus, even if all these others deny you, I'll never deny you, only to fail us at our moment of greatest need. Or is a promise from Jesus something different? Is a promise from Jesus something different than all the others, well-intentioned or not? Is a promise from Jesus something we can truly rely on, truly put our hope in, that it's, it's a, a light for when all other lights go out, to use the language of J.R. Tolkien? And is this promise from Jesus in particular Does it provide us not only with his comforting presence alongside us as we step out into the fearful unknowns of tomorrow, but also his enabling, empowering presence within us as we seek to be faithful to everything that he's called us to do as his people? Well, my hope, we're going to see in this passage this morning, and and, and hopefully even as you saw through that quote from St. Augustine last week, is that in seeing the presence of of Jesus' church now, all throughout all nations, 2,000 years after making that promise, hopefully that is more than enough evidence in itself to believe that a promise from Jesus is absolutely something different. That whatever Jesus promises, he can and he will be faithful to follow through on. And as we spend just a few minutes today looking at Jesus' promise to be with us, the promise of his presence. What I want us to consider today, this morning, in this passage as we look at it together is the comfort of Jesus' promise, the comfort of Jesus' presence, and the reality of Jesus' presence. Those two things, the comfort and the reality of Jesus' presence, and and then really just like all that that means for all that Jesus has called us to do. So if you still have your Bible there, your Bible app with you, if you would open it again to this passage Matthew 28, the last half of verse 20. Follow along with me now as we conclude this fall kickoff mini-series, Faithfulness into the Unknown. Okay, so let's look first of all at the comfort of Jesus' presence. The comfort of Jesus' presence. And of all the, the benefits of Jesus' presence, I would say that the comfort it provides is probably the most obvious um, just to know that someone's going along with you, that, that idea of the comfort that comes as a result of that. I think that's pretty obvious, uh, the most obvious benefit of Jesus' presence that we could look at and why actually this specific part of what is collectively known as the Great Commission is often referred to as Jesus' great comfort. But what I want us to consider here in particular, and it's something that's easy to miss, if you think about it, it's not actually the promise that Jesus makes itself that provides the comfort, but who it is that's making the promise that actually makes it comforting to us. You think about that? It's not the promise itself, but who it is that's making the promise. Because as we already saw, as we already know, anyone can make a promise to be with you. Hey, don't worry, I'm with you. I, I, I'm with you. I, I'll be there for that. Don't worry. 
I'm walking right alongside you. Anybody can say that, but who it is that's making that promise to you is going to have a huge bearing both on whether that's a promise we can actually rely on and how much comfort their presence actually is going to provide. Uh, So, for example, I, I remember as a kid, when I would wake up afraid and alone after having a scary nightmare, it would provide some level of comfort if my older sister or my older brother would let me come into their room and sleep with them for the rest of the night. It would provide some level of comfort. I kind of thought that maybe whatever monsters were coming at me might still get to them, but maybe they would just get to them first and I'd have a chance to get away. But the problem with that being, I was the youngest of three kids. I was probably pretty annoying, uh, especially annoying at that age. And so the, the, the reliability of that offer of comfort wasn't always a guarantee. Sometimes I get that comforting response, and other times I get a pillow in the face and get out of my room. So it was some measure of comfort, and it wasn't always sure if it was going to be reliable. And yet, if I was allowed to go into mom and dad's room, whoo, sleeping between them, okay, now forget about it. Now, all of a sudden, that's an infinitely higher level of both comfort, it's a higher level. Like, I mean, a monsters look in, see me in between mom and dad, they're like, oh, okay, forget it. No, he's, there's no way we're getting in there. They would take off. And it was also an offer of comfort I could absolutely rely on. I knew if I came into mom and dad's room, hey, can I sleep with you guys? I'm afraid. Absolutely. So it was both a higher level of comfort as well as a higher reliability of comfort so that I, I knew I could rely on who it is that's making the promise. So, so, so important. And so transferring that understanding then now into Jesus promise here in our passage, it might bring a certain level of comfort for Jesus to say, this is what I'm commissioning you to do, and I'm sending all of you together, all my disciples, all my church, you're being sent together, so so that, that might bring some level of comfort, you're not on your own, you got people with you, and yet, no, Jesus does us a thousand times better by saying there, look at the passage again, behold, that is, look at this, really give your attention to this, focus on this, behold, he says, I, Jesus, the the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, I am with you always to the end of the age. Which is better, right? Like that's that's just better than the other one. Uh, 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 You'll have other people with you. Uh, It's encouraging. But Jesus promised you'll have me right beside you the, the entire way. Infinitely more comforting. Who it is that's making the promise makes such a difference as to whether or not it really provides comfort. R.T. France notes in his commentary, the promise of God's presence often accompanied his call to service in the Old Testament. So for instance, when you have the example of someone like Moses, when God calls him to, I want you to go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. In Moses' you know, understandably and justifiably fearful response to God's call, God's promise to Moses is, but I will be with you. In the New Testament, you see the immediate benefit of Jesus' comforting promise, for instance, in the life of someone like the Apostle Paul when he's standing trial for his gospel witness. He says this in 2 Timothy 4, At my first offense, no one stood by me, everyone deserted me, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message would be fully proclaimed to all the Gentiles, and all the Gentiles would hear it. And in fact, going back to that story of of Moses leading the people out of Exodus and towards the promised land, if we could just go back there for a second. If you know that story, particularly when you come to Exodus 33, when God becomes so angry 
with the, the faithless grumbling, complaining of the people of Israel. And he tells Moses, I've given you safe passage to the promised land. I've taken care of all your enemies. I just want you to go ahead and take them there, but I'm not going with you. Moses' response to God's, what he says there is no, no. He says, Exodus 33, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Like, just think about that. So comforting, so reassuring is the presence of God in, in, within his people that Moses refuses all the rest and the pleasures of the promised land if the presence of God isn't also there. Moses basically says, God, we'd be better off wandering out here in the wilderness forever if you're with us. If you've ever heard that quoted before, it actually sounds very much something like something that Samuel Rutherford once wrote centuries later praying this, if I could be in heaven without thee, it would be a hell. And if I could be in hell and have thee still, it would be a heaven to me, for thou art all the heaven I want. And the great comfort of this passage for every single one of us today is that the Jesus we see here in Matthew's gospel promising to be with his first disciples is the very same Jesus who promises to be with each one of us today. It's the very same Jesus. And as, as you seek to be faithful to the commission of the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth to go and make disciples of all nations, how comforting is it to, to, to know as well that the one who has divine authority to simply command you instead goes along with you? Like That's just incredible staggering and, and comforting reality of Jesus' promise because what we've come to expect from people in authority in our lives today is for them to just tell us to do something. They order us. They're like, I'm the one in charge. Go do this. And, and actually, if you look back to verses uh, 18 and 19, that's very much how this looks like it's going uh, in the way that Jesus presents this when he, he presents uh, this command to go and make disciples of all nations in verse 19 upon his authority. In verse 18, all authority in heaven and earth is mine. Go, therefore. And listen, he could have absolutely just left it there. I'm God. I'm in charge. Go. He could have absolutely left it there. And yet, and yet, revealing himself yet again to be that good shepherd of Psalm 23 who walks along beside us through, valley, through, through valleys as dark as the shadow of death without fear. Why? Because he is with us. Jesus still graciously gives us the comforting promise of his presence to go along with his disciples that he has every right and authority to simply command. His promise is to go along with you. Okay, so that's the first benefit of Jesus' presence with us, the comfort of his presence. And, and, and the testimony of Scripture, as well as countless other people and witnesses throughout church history, is that the more you know and love Jesus, and the more you come to understand the fullness of who he is, the more comforting that promise of his presence becomes to us. But while there are, are so, so many other benefits of Jesus' presence that we could look at, the last one I want to look at together here with you this morning is the reality of Jesus' presence, that we actually really and truly have it. 
Uh, and this is incredibly important that we look at this, look more deeply into this benefit, the reality of Jesus' presence, because as I said when we began, the problem with Jesus' promise here, and again, it's a problem that Luke highlights at the end of his gospel in particular, is that shortly after making this promise to be with us always, Jesus ascends into heaven and leaves. And so the obvious question from the back of the room is, uh, yeah, how? How is that working out? Um, I mean, if Jesus took on human flesh, entered into human history in his incarnation like we looked at last week, and then physically leaves after his resurrection and appearing to his disciples and 500 others, how can Jesus possibly keep this promise? You, you're out of here, so how are you going to keep this promise? I mean, we must be missing something. I mean, did Matthew just mishear Jesus? Is that what's going on? Did, did Matthew hear Jesus say, I am with you always, when what Jesus actually said is like, I will be. Like, I'll be there when you need me. Kind of like, so, so Jesus promised to be with us is kind of more like uh, Mary Poppins and Nanny McPhee. So we're kind of on our own. And then if we ever really need him, things are going really bad, then he will be with us. I'll come in, I'll save the day, don't worry. Is, is that the promise? Maybe we're supposed to just understand Jesus' promise figuratively. He's with us, you know, like, like the, the memory of what Jesus did and taught. It remains with us always, but we're not supposed to really take this promise too literally. Is that, is that it? Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't leave us to try to figure out the answer to that on our own. In fact, Jesus himself answers that question for all his disciples, beginning with something we're told that he said to his disciples before he ascended to heaven as well in the book of Acts. This is where we're told this first part. There, Luke writes about Jesus. He appears to his disciples after his resurrection, and then he writes this. And while staying with them, that's Jesus, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but listen, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay, so that doesn't tell us everything, but it does tell us something. It first tells us that that promise of the Father that Jesus said he had talked with them about beforehand, that promise is the Holy Spirit. That's the promise. And, and when you go on to read what Jesus says in verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, we see that that Holy Spirit is a powerful presence. <clears throat> he says he is the one who gives us power to carry out the commission that Jesus has given to every one of his disciples to, to go and make disciples of all nations. Okay, but where, where do we see that in God's word? Where, where did Jesus make these Tell the disciples about this promised one coming. And, and, and then beyond that, how does the coming of the Holy Spirit, which we see happening in Acts chapter 2, how does that relate to Jesus' promise to be with us always to the end of the age? Great questions. Great questions. I'm glad you asked. Well, in order to understand that, what we need to do, I think one place, helpful place to look is to go back to what Jesus, uh, some of his most extensive teaching that we have recorded about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14. If you have a Bible there, you can look at it, or I'm going to read it for us. But there's a section from this passage I want to read. And, and here, just to kind of give you context of what's going on, Jesus is eating the Passover supper with his disciples. They're, they're about to go out to the Garden of Gethsemane where he'll be betrayed, taken captive, and then crucified the very next day. And after washing his disciples' feet and then predicting both the betrayal of Judas as well as Peter's denial, Jesus tells his disciples that he's about to leave. 
He tells them, I'm going away somewhere, and I'm going somewhere that you can't follow me. And, and they're, they're sad. They're, they're devastated. They're angry at what Jesus is saying. They can't understand what, what, what he's saying. And, and, and what I want to read you now is Jesus' response to their sad questions and fears and doubts at his going away. But in, as I read his response, what I want you to do is listen for two things. Listen for what Jesus says about the promise of the Holy Spirit as well as what he says about how the coming of the Holy Spirit fulfills his promise in our passage to always be with us. Listen here, Jesus, John 14, beginning at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Some of your translations will say another counselor or another comforter. To be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. That's, that is when the Spirit comes. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear from me is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Now, there's, there's so, so much there, I, I get it. Um, but did you notice, in, in that extended passage here. First of all, how Jesus keeps referring to the Holy Spirit as the one whom the Father will send in my name. There's kind of this collective Trinitarian thing going on. He's the one that will be sent in my name. That's who Jesus is referring to here when in Belk of Acts when he talks about the promise of the Father that they are to go to Jerusalem and wait for or stay in Jerusalem and wait for. And, and the reason Jesus refers to the Spirit as the promise of the Father is because if you look back in the Old Testament, there's all kinds of Old Testament prophets. Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel, Joel, all kinds of different promise, prophets who God speaks through this message that, that one day, a day is coming when he says things like, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. He says things like, I will put my spirit within you. Basically telling his people the day is coming when God's no longer going to operate to instruct and teach his people in the same way by sending these individual prophets to go and speak for him. He's going to put his spirit within his people. To teach them and guide them in his ways. Okay, so what that's showing us here, this is the when. This is when Jesus told his disciples about this promised Holy Spirit. But did you notice, secondly, how Jesus re repeatedly refers to the coming of the Holy Spirit 
as his continued presence with his disciples, both with them as well as within them. How Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as his coming to them and not leaving them as orphans, as the means by which Jesus will both continue to teach them and remind them of all that he told them and on and on and on, all these things that the presence of the Spirit will be. This is what Jesus is he's preemptively kind of thinking ahead to this promise he's going to make, and he's telling them now what, what the connection is between the coming of the Holy Spirit and his promise to be with them always. He's trying to make the connection ahead of time for them. Now, okay, I get that. That's, that's a lot. That's, that, that sounds like a lot, and, and it is. And I'm sure it was probably a lot for the disciples to take in when Jesus first, when, when they first heard Jesus say this. But, but the incredible reality to try to just wrap our minds around this morning as we look at this, when you come back to our passage in Matthew 28, is to consider this. All of those promises in the Old Testament that God made about sending the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father to put His Spirit within us, as well as everything that Jesus teaches in John 14 and elsewhere about the Spirit and the Holy Spirit and what His work is and what He's going to be, all of that is packed tightly into that one sentence at the end of Matthew's Gospel, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All of that information is packed into that one sentence. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And that's how. This is how. It means this is the answer. This is the answer to how Jesus can physically leave and yet still be eternally present with every one of his disciples. That's how he does it. This is how Jesus keeps his promise to be with us. Not figuratively, not potentially, but literally with us by dwelling within every disciple of his now by his spirit. Which, I mean, yeah, it shows us a lot of things. But as it relates to our passage, as well as Jesus' great commission as a whole, I think it shows us two things in particular. Firstly, it shows us that Jesus can be trusted to keep his promises. We can trust him to keep his promises, not as the world gives, do I give you. Remember Jesus said there in John 14, and as it relates to our passage, not as the world promises, do I promise you, Jesus says. Because, here's the thing, the reality is, is that I know, uh, we've all experienced and, 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 or seen, yeah, there's people in this world who want to trick and deceive us, making false promises uh, that they have no intention of keeping, and yet, my working assumption is that the majority of us, when we make promises to others in, in life, and in work, in marriage, and friendship, we make those promises with the best of intentions, like we, we really intend to keep them. We make them in good faith, and yet the problem at the end of the day is that try as we might, because we are finite and, and limited, there's all kinds of circumstances that come into life that keep us from being able to follow through on them. It's not intentional, but it happens all the time. But the difference for Jesus that we're seeing here as the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth is that he's not limited by any of those things. Any of the things that hinder us from being able to keep our promises Jesus is not limited at all by them. And so that's the difference for Jesus. He can be trusted because of that to keep his promises because he's the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's the one who's making this promise, and that's why we can trust us. We can trust this promise. Jesus is never going to say to us, I'm so sorry I couldn't be there for that thing I said I would be there for. This thing happened, this happened. He's never going to say, I'm sorry I couldn't keep this promise or this promise. That's something Jesus is never going to say to you. Secondly, 
as Jesus teaches us about the powerful working of the Holy Spirit within us now, as he talks about in Acts 1.8, Jesus promised to be with us, gives us something else. It gives us comfort that he's going along with us, but it gives us something else. It also gives us all the power necessary in order to be able to carry out the commission to which he's called us. It's the empowering force within us that enables us to carry out this otherwise impossible mission. R.T. France, again, notes, the presence of Jesus with us, quote, is not so much a cozy reassurance as a necessary equipment for mission. Or as Leon Morris says it, in other words, the disciple is not going to be left to serve God as well as he can in light of what he's learned from the things Jesus commanded. The disciple will find that he has a great companion as he goes on his way through life. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you. That, that's what Jesus told his grieving disciples on the night before he went to the cross in order to make good on that promise as well as to this promise in our passage here. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus' death and resurrection is what made him able to keep those promises. Matthew begins his gospel all the way back in Matthew chapter 1 with the pronouncement of Jesus' birth and his name, which we're told shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then Matthew ends his gospel in a way that's unique from all the other gospel writers. Luke and Mark both end with Jesus' ascension. John ends with kind of reiterating Jesus' deity. But Mark, or sorry, Matthew here leaves us instead with Jesus' authoritative commission to every disciple of his, but closes with the comforting promise of his presence to continue to go along with us for all time to the end of the age, that he's with us. How many of you need to know this morning that Jesus is with you? He's with you right now. He's with you in that struggle in your relationship. He's with you as you fail at parenting. He's with you as you struggle in your job, struggle with your health, whatever it is. He's with you. His presence goes along beside you and is the strength within you to continue to go on. I know I do. I'm so glad for this promise and to be reminded of it. He's with me. So as we come full circle to everything that we've looked at over these past three weeks, as we walk out now today into what is a fearful unknown for us as a church. It is a fearful unknown. My prayer is that we may faithfully go forward with clarity at least on what it is that Jesus has called us to, both individually and collectively, as well as who it is that has called us, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth and to whom the future is neither fearful nor unknown. He, he has called you, he has called me to go and make disciples of all nations. And although, again, he has every right and authority to simply command us, again, he instead graciously promises that both the comfort as well as the empowering reality of his presence will go along with us every step of the way. He will not leave us as orphans. He's going along with you every step of the way. And so as we seek to do this, as we seek to live this out as a church, stepping into this next season of life in light of that gracious, incredible reality, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth is with us. 
the words of an old chorus now summarize my hope, the hope in my heart for our church as we go forward now into this. And the words are simply this. May our God and all who come behind us find us faithful. May they find us faithful to what Jesus has called us to. And really, may, may the legacy of our faithfulness, our faithfulness to Jesus' call as his church today, even into the fearful unknown of a global pandemic, may what those future generations see with our legacy of faithfulness inspire those future generations with a vision of what is still possible for God in our day with lives sold out to his mission, fully submitted to his authority, and operating in the comfort as well as the power of his ever-present spirit. Amen.